I'm not going to lie, Paul, for the first two weeks, I cried every single day. Welcome to Leadership Mindset, the podcast where we uncover the hidden gems of sales leadership. Your host is Paul Lanigan, and in each episode, we bring you up close and personal with the world's most accomplished sales leaders. We explore their experiences, motivations, inspirations, and the challenges they have conquered on their way to the top. In today's episode, we have a truly exceptional guest whose extraordinary story embodies the very essence of leadership. Our guest has navigated through life's toughest challenges, leaving an indelible mark on those who have had the privilege of witnessing her journey. Prepare to be captivated and inspired by her unyielding spirit and unwavering commitment to her goals as we delve into a story that will undoubtedly leave a lasting impression on your own pursuit of success. She is the founder and managing director of Wedding Dates. Kira, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Paul. Kira, I'm fascinated by the concept of the business, and I'd like to get into that in a few moments, but tell me first of all, where did you grow up? I'm proudly from Cork, as most Cork people are. So grew up here in Cork, but my family is all from the west of Ireland, from Mayo and Sligo. So to Cork people, we were actually considered blow-ins, even though myself and my three brothers were all born and reared in Cork. I've travelled a lot in my life and especially in my younger years, but boomeranged back to Cork when I started the business. And so talk to me a little bit about the journey between, say, school and you going out on your own. So when I finished school, the natural progression was to go on to third level. And because I'm from Cork and lived relatively near to the city, the the feed in was to UCC, into University College Cork. And my mom actually worked in UCC for 27 years. She just recently retired. Um, So that was a very natural progression for me. And at the time when I was doing my Leaving Cert around 2000, that was the whole dot com boom time. So there was a real attraction to go and get a career in tech and to study tech. So the degree that I chose was business information systems, which was a relatively new degree in UCC at the time. And one of the big attracting factors to me was the fact that they had a six month internship and they really played on the fact that a lot of the interns got to go to the US to do their internship. Okay. And did you? Yes, yeah, I did. I got to go to Boston. There was about 50 people from my class, actually, that interned in Boston at the time. So it was a really an amazing experience. And to be able to do the internship in a big global multinational company, I, I worked in EMC. and But also to be in a town or a city like Boston with 50 of your other classmates, all in different companies, but we all were able to base ourselves there for six months. But it was an amazing experience and a real growing up experience because I had gone to school in the same city or gone to college in the same city that I grew up in and lived at home through college. So I probably didn't have the same college experience maybe as people who go away to college. And what were the highlights of that for you? There were so many of course I think living out of home living with friends that whole experience was massive but from a work perspective working in a big American multinational like that and just it was a humongous building all different floors it was all open plan cubicles I'd never experienced anything like that before 
and working as part of various different teams and interacting with different people in the organization was a real growing up experience for me and learning even email communication etiquette even the basics like that you don't necessarily learn that in university so just even learning that and I suppose one of the but one of the big takeaways from it was I really probably don't want to work in a big multinational organization so I always think you know what when you learn and figure out what you don't want to do that's nearly as beneficial as figuring out what you do want to do you know, it's part of the whole journey. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by the choices people make, particularly when it comes to where they want to work and what they gravitate towards. What do you think it was in you psychologically that made you feel that a corporation wasn't the right place for you? Oh, you go, you're gone deep straight away, Paul. Uh, straight into the deep end. I, just, this is, I think... The whole, like, even the physical space with the cubicles, right? I think that is quite a good metaphor for how I felt certainly in an organization like that. It would just stay in your lane. There's a box. This is your job. This is what you're supposed to do. And I, just for my personality, I suppose it just maybe didn't suit me as well. I wouldn't consider myself a conformist. So I just like colouring outside the lines or whatever the phrase is, I think it probably just didn't really match my personal creativity and the yeah. a feeling of wanting to be free and to have more, be more autonomous. Now, I know there's a lot of organisations yeah. out there that do offer a lot of autonomy now, but back then, that's going back 20 years ago, it was very different in corporate America. The, that, that's the window that I saw uh, didn't give a lot of creativity or autonomy. Yeah. If I knew you in your school days, how would I know by observing you that you are not a conformist? I've never been... Back in my school days, definitely people in the school would have known me for sure. I never was afraid to speak up in class, to to give my opinion, give my thoughts either to my teachers or my... I didn't see hierarchy maybe as as the nuns would have liked me to perhaps we I went to a convent school it was mostly lay teachers of course but there were some nuns as well but I always felt confident in myself to speak up speak out and I suppose I just never followed the status quo and I often ended up in quite leadership positions even within in back in my school days you know we had a mini company in transition year and I was the managing director of the mini company and we had a school bank and I was the leader of the school bank. So those little things would have were indicators, I suppose, of the type of career that I would end up in. Are you eldest child in your family, by any chance? Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm, there you go. I'm the eldest child and I'm the only girl. I have three, three younger brothers and a friend of mine joked years ago. She said, Kira doesn't have siblings. She has staff. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. But that's interesting. It is really interesting that you had leadership thrust upon you just through your family circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. I became conscious of that myself when I was a parent and our eldest child, where when he was, say, eight years of age, there was a four year old and then a one year old. And an eight, you might say, well, you keep an eye on your sister. And it starts there and then builds upon that 
Whereas you wouldn't do that with a person. So it is, it's interesting. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And the idea as well. Yeah. So I can understand why the corporate environment. I also wonder from a, because you mentioned creativity and again, this is hugely oversimplistic, but I've noticed and I've seen this in myself as well, where people, you're either in the creative box and to create, you need space. I don't just mean mental space. You mean physical as part of the mental space as well. You just, you can't be ending, controlled, boxed off. And then there's doors, people who will manage tasks. Is, is that where it comes from as well? I'm just curious from the creativity side that you felt. Yeah. So let me ask that question again. So it seems clear to me that maybe from a leadership point of view, that the corporate structure was too restrictive for you. I'm wondering how much of that restriction also comes from your creative side. Yeah, I think I, I think it's both, right? It's probably something that was innate within me, but also something that I saw outside from that kind of corporate structure. So it probably came both from within and without. And I think a lot of us think about creativity in terms of artists or musicians or creators. I am not any of those things. When I'm with my kids doing art with them, it's stick figures is about as, as good as it gets with me. But I suppose I think of creativity in terms of ideas, idea generation. Yeah. And I do would consider myself good at that identifying um, ideas, but also solutions to problems. And that's where the doing side of what you spoke about oh. comes into play, because I would consider myself a real doer as well. And the ability yeah. to take an idea and actually run with it and execute it. And something that I really thought so many times over the years about um, different startups or we all have the idea of the, the garage inventor or whatever. There's a lot of great ideas out there. There's a lot of people out there that come up with ideas that uh, come up with concepts and they see then businesses starting or apps developing and they think I thought of that my dad often jokes that he came up with the idea for Uber many years ago <laughs> but I always say ideas are to a penny execution is yeah. everything and a lot of people have had many of the same ideas I'm sure that I've had over the years but I think where my success has been is that I've executed on the idea very well and executed with consistency and I think that they're two of the real key words for me would be execution and consistency. Yes. Was there a pivotal moment when you decided that you wanted to work for yourself or was it just something that was gradual? I know you mentioned the internship and you, there was something there you felt. Was it more than that or just after that point you thought, no, I'll never do that? After my internship, I traveled for two years, traveled the world and had an amazing time. And I did some work during that time as well, but uh, just really broadened, broadened my horizons. And when I came back to yeah. Ireland, obviously flat broke, had to get it, had to get a job again. And I worked for about a year after I came home in, in two different corporates. And again, that just cemented my opinion that the corporate world wasn't for me. And I suppose there was a real healthy dose of naivety as well. Sure, I'll give it a go. I would have a good bit of confidence in my own ability and Especially, I think, when you're in your 20s, you're a bit arrogant generally and you're a bit, you don't know what you don't know. And a little bit of ignorance is bliss, I always say. When I, it really is. I was quite naive and quite ignorant of how 
challenging it would be to start a business when I was 25. I was quite cavalier. I said, sure, I'll give this a go. And if it doesn't work out, I'll get a real job. And yeah. then the recession. No, but you're, you're absolutely right. What have you got to lose when you're 25? Nothing. Exactly. If you have a family and a mortgage and all that kind of stuff, that's maybe. And even then, it's, it still could be an excuse because how long will it take me to job if it doesn't work out? It's the big risk. It's still not a big risk. So, yeah. It's, but I think you're right about the cavalier thing that when you're, because you don't know what you don't know, that could be quite liberating because it, you're not restricted by imaginary issues and problems that probably would never happen. And then, of course, you have the enthusiasm of that time as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Why, where did the idea of wedding day come up, come from? Really around the kitchen table. Most They say most good ideas either around the kitchen table or at the bar counter. So this one was certainly at home, with, with really with my family, my mum and dad. My Both my grandparents on both sides of my family owned and ran hotels. So hospitality is something that really is in my blood. And when I was a little kid, I used to say I wanted to run a hotel when I grew up. But I had the BIS degree. And around the time that I was starting the business, the the OTAs, the online travel agents, those aggregator sites like Booking.com and Hotels.com, those sites were just coming on stream at that time. So the kind of idea that you could now book a hotel bedroom online, that was actually quite new. 15 years Mm. ago hotels had websites back then but they were brochure sites for the most part so now there was that facility to actually book online and really then just started talking about that that combination of hospitality and hotels and tech and what are the other things that you're going to want to do in a hotel now you can book a bedroom online what else would you like to do in a hotel weddings is another thing that happens in hotels maybe we can put some tech to support and facilitate that and that's really where the concept came from. My father came up with the name Wedding Dates. I always credit him with that. And we were tossing the idea around these high conversations, as they say, around the dinner table. Half of them end up going nowhere. But my dad registered the domain name WeddingDates.ie. And he said yeah. to me, if anyone can make this work, you can. I think you should give it a go. And really encouraged me and had... I. I think I had good self-belief anyway, but the fact that my mum and dad weighed in behind that and echoed it and supported me just really, it was like the wind beneath my wings. It allowed me then to go for it. How much of your belief in yourself comes from your parents' belief in you? A huge amount. I would, yeah. That's where it comes from. Ever since I was a little girl, I was told that I can do anything and I can be anything. And they've really encouraged that and celebrated my successes over the years. I still do. And when I am having those low moments or those dark days, it'll be my mom and dad that pick me up and that remind me of that I can do it and I can face the challenges that are ahead. It's funny, they talk a lot about privilege in this world. To me, the two greatest privileges are love and belief. And they tend to stem from the same source. Uh-huh. That's the fountainhead. Interesting. And so, can you tell me, coming back to the wedding dates, what problem does it solve for people? So, it's evolved a lot over the years, right? So, back when we originally started, it was a website similar to the likes of booking.com or hotels.com where you can actually find venues 
that were available on the date you wanted to get married. So couples tended to get engaged, set a date, and then they had to plan everything from there. So it was obviously hotels and venues, but also other suppliers as well. Bands, DJs, photographers, hair and makeup, the whole kit and caboodle, everything hangs off that date. And that's where the whole name wedding dates and that's why it's so important. Over the years, over 15 years of being in the industry and listening to our clients, we really have evolved to the business and actually went through quite a big pivot during COVID where we actually launched a complete separate brand called WedPro, which is software that venues use to help them manage their entire inquiry and events pipeline. So like a CRM for weddings. Um, so that's our newest product now. We still have the wed- wedding dates and the consumer brand, but we also have a B2B brand called WedPro. So there's kind of two businesses in under one umbrella. Is the monetization a different for both of those? Yes, it is. So the primarily with the software, we own, are only working with hotels and venues on the website directory side. There, there can be all sorts of other suppliers there as well. And the fee structure obviously is very different. So depending on if you're Ireland or in the UK, we will pay a grand or two to have an advertising a listing on the website. And obviously there's different tiers and different perks that come with the different levels, etc. Um, But it's very much just a subscription to a website, whereas on the software side, it's completely different. It's a software as a service. We're billing a recurring monthly for that software. So it's a completely different ballgame. And obviously it's a higher price point. I'm curious to know if running a SaaS model that felt different for you and and what were the what challenges of any came from that? A lot of the challenges, we're we're living them right now. We're still living them because we, the company has, uh, and our solution has gradually evolved, but we made the pivot on that, that word I was so overused since COVID, but you know, that we, yeah. we launched WedPro last year and the challenge, the biggest challenge really is communicating both externally to the world, our prospects to our current clients and even in within our own team. Uh, it's that mental mind shift. Is it Wed Pro or wedding dates? Which are we talking about now? They overlap a lot, but there are distinct elements for both of them. That ha- I think has been the biggest challenge when you're known as something for as long as we've been known as wedding dates. It's, it, we've been in business 15 years and people associate me, Kira Cross, and I'd be known in the industry where does wedding dates end and Kira Cross and begin? It's totally. <laughs> Whereas with the SaaS business, obviously there's huge global potential there and it's not driven as much by a figurehead, a personality, etc. So it's very different. I would say we are living those challenges every day and overcoming mm-hmm. them one by one. We had a client from the UK that we worked with for many years a hotel group, we have seven of their properties. And this week, just on Monday, the CEO, the group commercial manager and the group revenue and distribution manager flew from the UK to Ireland to spend time with us in Cork to basically brainstorm, discuss their performance. What could they be doing more? It was a whole strategy session on their wedding business, not just what we offer them, but the broader business and 
the the CEO of the company constantly called uh, constantly the wording that he used was you're a wedding CRM you're a CRM you're a CRM and you know it's it's just amazing to think this is what our clients actually think of us it doesn't even matter what we say it's what our clients are telling us so that was a really powerful session for me we we spent 24 hours with them and it was really valuable to get their insight get their feedback because we obviously we showed them our development roadmap as well of what's coming for the rest of the year and got their input and feedback on that because we build all the software in-house so we're very close to our customers and attuned to their needs and their wants in which direction you could you could take this in any number of different directions so we're always thinking about how we can evolve further by being so close to our clients and listening to them so that's those challenges of straddling two market two different businesses are they're very real they're very real it's absolutely fascinating because you're right the wedding date is synonymous with you and it's that then becomes a kind of a lifestyle business because and it's harder to sell off then as well because it's you can but there's a lot of effort because into that whereas with the software business that's that could be that could Incredible. That, that could be huge. Not could be, will be. Yes. And then requires your, all your focus. There's an interesting problem. Yeah. I can see so many of them up and ahead, but not in a bad way. I think they're just proper things to be knocked down and dealt with and moved on. And I think it's great nowadays as well from a SaaS point of view. It's a well-trodden path okay. in terms of the how companies adopt new technology again CRM is nothing new so you don't have to solve that problem you've got the relationship with hotels which is wonderful from the wedding date side of things and then it's a case of how to structure the team the company and the business model to take advantage of all that so yeah wow how are you doing with investors without I don't need you to disclose anything but I'm just there that's obviously a conversation you're having because to really take that global, you're going to need to talk to other investors. How are they receiving the, this business model? So we've never received any investment in the 15 years we've been in business. It's been complete organic growth and the company is completely self-funding. So that's something I'm very proud of. And certainly we've built a very sustainable business over the last 15 years. We started in a recession and we survived a global pandemic in and our customers are hospitality industry weddings. You couldn't really mm. pick a worse market that was yeah. affected by True. by the pandemic. Yeah. So yeah. we have that sustainable business and we are in that transition period, I would say, where we're uncoupling, for want of a better word, and excuse yeah. the pun, the, the wedding dates business from WedPro, from the SaaS business. And I think we still have a bit of work to do behind the scenes to get our ducks in a row before we actually bring this out to investors because there is that we still are a relatively small team and it is there is that untangling and that re-education of our customers and explaining well we're actually this is what we're offering you now and won't you come on over to the other side I think we need to get more of our clients using WedPro and have more test cases and proof of concept before we before we actually take this out to investors in order to get yeah. a significant valuation. Yeah. How difficult was it for you personally when you saw your entire business just evaporate in front of your eyes when lockdown came and there's nothing you can do? Yeah, give, given your can-do, get up, 
solve the problem in nature. What was that like for you? It was extremely difficult and every business person has a different but very similar story about that time and I will never forget when they announced they were closing the schools. I couldn't believe it. I am a single mother as well as running the business and my twins, they're nine now, but in COVID they were seven. Uh, I have twin boys and when they said they're closing the schools, I'm like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to have them at home with me and try to homeschool them and run the business during this incredibly challenging time? I'm not going to lie, Paul, for the first two weeks of COVID, I cried every single day. I bawled. I thought this is going to be it. And we looked at our cash flow and looked at our runway and saw when are we going to run out of money? And the first in March, when we looked at it, we were going to completely run out of money by like July. And then we were, okay, scrambling. Okay, maybe we can put the team down to a three-day week. Okay, that gets us out to August, September, whatever. Okay, what else can we do? We can cut down, cut costs. And, you know, one of the, we used to spend a lot of money on Google Ads, driving traffic to the websites, obviously straight away, stop the Google Ads. Another thing that we did to cut costs, we, my head of operations identified that I had a little bit of a problem with buying domains. I had a bit of an addiction and I had a lot of <laughs> hundreds of domains over the years that were all wow. on auto renew. So we saved a couple of grand yeah. by just getting rid of wow. those domains. Like So it, it, like yeah. it, it really is that every penny counts. So we went through that cost cutting exercise and then the real kind of like first time that I felt I could breathe was when the government announced the wage subsidy scheme. And that was a complete game changer because that was like, okay, I don't have to let people go. I can keep people on. I have staff in the UK as well. So they had a similar scheme, but a little bit different, the furlough scheme. They weren't actually allowed to work during that time, but at least they were able to get paid a good percentage and were able to stay on on the on, in the company. My Irish team were able to be paid and keep working. And then we looked at our debtors and we had, back then we were still very much just on the subscription model. Pay, sign up to the website for a year. And we had hotels that would have signed or renewed their contracts in January and February and first half of March that hadn't yet paid. Hotels typically send them an invoice, 30 day payment terms, but it's usually 60 and in some cases, 90 days yeah. before you get your money. So when we looked at that, we had 90 or 100 clients that owed us money and COVID hit and suddenly their doors were closed. They didn't have any money coming through the tills. And in some cases, we had been delivering the service for a number of months as well. So I did a, an exercise where I wrote to them all. And one of the things that... I suppose I would pride myself on over the years as I built up very good relationships with my clients and be very personal with them. So when I wrote to them all, I was just really honest. I just said, look, this is where it stands. If all of our debtors don't pay us, we're going to go under. So what can you do to support me and my team and my family through this time? Work with me here. Can you pay me over six months? Can you pay me over nine months? What can you do? And they came back to me gradually and started getting on payment plans. Some of them just said, oh, absolutely, we'll clear that. They yeah. will pay it. Yeah. Some of them went on payment plans. It took nearly a full 12 months for all of that to wash through. 
But in the end, in March 2021, we wrote off five grand of bad debt and that was it. Wow. Yeah, that's remarkable. Yeah. That's, yeah. And yeah. it was... It's, it's testament to you. I'm, I'm always in awe when I talk to business owners like yourself who had to go through that because it was just like falling off a cliff. You're just not prepared for it. There's nothing. Uh, there was, how do you deal with that? There, there was 125 or, grand owed to us at that time. And it's like that. We've made these sales. We've sent these invoices. Like, that's my money. And and the money that we needed to keep the company going and to keep the staff paid. Yeah. And so to be able yeah. to to bring in the lion's share of that is, is something that, it, it, that enabled us to survive. Yeah. And it really strengthened my relationship with my clients. I'll never forget the clients that stuck with me through COVID, that paid their bills, that did what they said they were going to do. I'll never forget that. And they have my unending loyalty and gratitude and support because of what they did for me during that time. And it really is that two-way partnership. And, you know, that our clients that came from the UK this week, they're a good example of one of them that just stuck with us and paid us the whole way through COVID because obviously it was discounts and moved on to monthly instead of annual and all sorts it was whatever we had to do but they they believed in what we offered they supported my business and I in turn support theirs so it's something that it was a very tough time but there was some huge learnings from it and that knowing that how to really at a fine level manage your cash flow that spreadsheet was my bible during those months of watching every penny that came in and went out but we got through it and as i say there was huge learnings from it that's a huge testament to you and the team as well that they believed in you that they wanted you there when we came out of it they wanted Mm -hmm. you there on the other side which yeah is where they're putting their money where their mouth is really and yeah well interesting i think The we were always going to come back out of COVID and weddings are something that are recession proof. People will always get married no matter what. And even some weddings did happen during COVID, even in in very small numbers. So we were always going to come back. And I think the venues out there that are really serious about doing weddings, we had a relationship and worked with for years. They were always going to come back to us. And some of them, as I say, stuck with us throughout. Some of them have been coming back since COVID. I think one of the things that has stood us really well is the consistency. So even during COVID, when the hotels were closed, we were doing webinars for the wedding coordinators, talking to them about how they can pivot to a virtual experience for the couples doing virtual show rounds. We were trying to support them and educate them throughout that period to be that just that support and to let them know we're still here, we're still supporting you and we'll be here when it's all over as well. And I'm really proud of that consistency and I think people have come to expect that from wedding dates now and we've been here for 15 years. We're not going anywhere and you can you can rely on us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's clear to be clear that you inspire a lot of people. Who inspires you? Wow, that's a great question. From a work ethic perspective, I have to say my parents. They are both extremely hard workers and they definitely have set a huge example for me in get up, show up, do the work, be consistent. That's definitely, I would be very inspired by them from that perspective. 
And then I'm lucky to be involved with various different business groups, particularly women in business groups. And one of the organizations that I've been lucky to be a, a part of is a group called Vital Voices. And it's based out of Washington, D.C. And I did a program with them back in 2018 where they took 11 female entrepreneurs from around the world and matched them with 11 mentors um, to really help them focus on their business. And we did a, a residential week, a really intensive week where we stayed in a hotel, all of us together working on our businesses. And I'm part of that alumni. And there's some women in that organization doing really amazing things to change the world. And they're really looking at the, the UN Sustainable Development Goals and working on businesses that are actually making other people's lives better. And that's been hugely inspiring to me and is definitely lighting the fire for the next phase. And I think by being inspired by people like that or be, being around people like that, it's made me want to do better with my business. It's one, It's made me want to be a better leader, be a better manager and create a company that not only is serving its customers really well with integrity, but also it's a really nice place to work and people that work for me feel challenged but feel valued they feel safe they can we've obviously gone to working remote since covid and now it's hybrid but still a lot of my team works remote and they need to feel like they can come on to the onto our daily call saying i'm not feeling great today i'm not feeling it and to know that it's a safe space to do that and i think i've learned so much from being part of that organization and I suppose the benefit of getting a bit older, getting a bit wiser, living through a global pandemic, I think I've tried to take the positive of that, of being more empathetic to people around me and trying to understand that there could be other things going on, both with your staff or with your customers and to not take things personally and to actually um, be very mindful and with the words that you use because you just don't know what's going on with people and trying to meet them where they are, I suppose. What's your take on the working from home versus office work? Where do you see the ideal? Does it also depend on the type of business that you're engaged in, whether people should be back at the office, or I shouldn't say should, that it would be helpful to have people back at the office more than working from home? Just curious to know what your own thoughts are. The whole remote working exercise, the global exercise that we all went through for the last two years has been completely enlightening to me. I would have been quite old school in my thinking prior to COVID. You got to be in the office at nine o'clock in the morning and very traditional. And that's the setup that we had pre-COVID. Everyone was in the office five days a week, the end. I have been completely proven wrong. I am such an advocate for remote working now. I feel that my team certainly are, there was, as far as I could measure and witness and experience through COVID, there was no dip in productivity. If anything, there might've even been an increase because you're not losing commuting time. You're not losing extended lunch breaks, those water cooler moments. People are doing their work. And we've obviously put different checks and balances in place to to ensure that. But I've been very lucky with my team. They really appreciate the flexibility and their people. I think if you trust people to be adults and just get their work done and show them, give them that autonomy, I think yeah. people by and large 
are very good and I, I've had a very positive experience. For me, I do think there can be some really positives to being in person in terms of just collaboration and just connection as well. And uh, my, my head of operations and I will do sessions once every couple of weeks where we'll get out the flip chart and have the kind of walking around the office and hammering things out. And that can be very, it can be quicker to get to that when you're in person than when you're when you're remote. However, there's brilliant tools out there to enable collaboration in organisations. And we actually, the thing I would worry about is just the, the, the slight loss of the social side of work. So we actually have virtual coffees every week. So you're scheduled to have a virtual coffee with somebody else on the team, particularly somebody that you mightn't get to work with on a day-to-day basis. It's 15 minutes, half an hour, once a week, have coffee with someone, don't talk about work. That's the brief. And as a result, my fully remote team gets to know each other. I have three staff in the UK. They go months of it at a time without actually seeing the team members in Cork. So I think it's very powerful. And what motivates I'll start that again. What motivates you most about what you're doing? I absolutely still to this day get such a buzz and a kick out of making a sale or when we win a new client. I am completely that salesperson is very strong in me still. Um one of the things that definitely motivates me is delivering real results to our clients and having their feedback. And when you hear some of the feedback that we get and the clients that actually turn into friends, the clients that want to come over to Ireland to spend 24 hours strategizing with you, that's hugely fulfilling for me. And just seeing my team and seeing them grow and having the the personal and the financial freedom that I have now as an entrepreneur, a single mom, been in business for 15 years, I have a lot more freedom to do things that maybe some of my other peers don't get to do in terms of personal stuff, holidays, etc. That that flexibility, but also other ideas that I have. I, I have a, an idea for a social enterprise that I'd like to launch in the next year or so. And I can do those things now that maybe I wouldn't be able to do if I wasn't an entrepreneur. If you were Minister for Education, and you can make any subject mandatory on the secondary school curriculum, what would it be? I was going to, I was thinking English because communication is one of the fundamental things, but of course English is mandatory already. I think presentation skills is hugely important and not everybody needs to go and speak in a room full of 200 people in any company you're working in, in any organization, there is going to be some level of interaction. And I think uh, there's young, some young people that are coming out into the working world at the moment, some of them are wildly confident and you're like, where do they get that from? Mm. But some other people, and I've seen it with some people I've hired and it often does tend to be younger females, unfortunately, but don't have the confidence to speak up or to share ideas or to share initiatives. And I think working on that confidence and public speaking, presenting for want of a better word, it, that even has implications when you're at a job interview or where you're negotiating a salary or where you're negotiating a pay rise, being able to advocate for yourself and for other people, I think is something that is is probably under underserved in the world at the moment. Yeah. I'm wondering, is that, look, public speaking has been an issue for most people. Most people are uncomfortable with it. I get that. 
I'm wondering how much social media plays into that as well in terms of undermining people's confidence in themselves that they feel like they're always being judged and I see this and I see it particularly with my daughter where she'll look if her post doesn't get X number of likes she'll actually delete the post and I'm again for my generation I just don't understand that you know, the post is either valid or it isn't or it's something that you want to say regardless of who likes it and so I'm just curious to know if you see the trend with that might be correlated with social media or is it just the case that look it is young people they have to find their own voice and they just need a mentor a coach somebody will help them I think it's actually probably a bit of both and it, it will it, I do think that social media and that kind of public validation has a huge part to play the amount of cancel cancel culture that's happening out there a lot of people are afraid to say anything but I think this that nuance with Public speaking, as you say, it's been an issue for decades and not everybody is comfortable doing it or wants to do it. But even just feeling um, confident enough to present, even just within your own small team, five or ten people, or even advocating and being for yourself in a negotiation situation, I think helping younger people to find their kind of their true north and their values, I suppose, really is what it comes down to, you know, what they will stand for what they will believe in, what they will accept, what they won't accept. I definitely, for me, it has, I've improved on that in myself over the years, but I would say I was relatively strong at that, even coming out of school and going into college. But yeah, I just think it, it, it is a tricky one. And I'm very conscious of it, raising my boys as well, of trying to, they, we talk about being a bystander or being an upstander. When you're going to see, if you see something happening, are you just a bystander? Do you let it happen? Or do you speak up? And then getting them to think about that, even at nine years old, that they can speak up and know what's right and wrong and live to their values and and actually speak up for things that are wrong. And again, I think some of that even like reflecting now just on this podcast about my own upbringing, that I was, I always did feel that it was acceptable to, to challenge the norm, even if what it was coming from a hierarchy and, and feeling comfortable both speaking to your yeah. peers and a different level. Yeah. That's really interesting. I hadn't, I love that term bystander, upstander. And because, and you mentioned council coaches, there is another force out there, which I've noticed is it's not alone. Can you be, and I hate the word cancelled, but can you bring down a whole ton of trouble at yourself for saying the wrong thing? Is that, if you're even seen to endorse it or seen to like it. I've seen people who maybe have said something that people disagree with. And if you went and liked it or retweeted, I oh, with Kelly Harrington this week, same thing. Whether you agree with it or not, it was the fact that she had retweeted something and brought down a whole ton of trouble on herself because of it. And so therefore, it, it, that, that might make people more sensitive to speaking up because their fear of being attacked. And so I think it's something we do need to double down on. Maybe that needs to start in school. Maybe that's something we could add to the mandatory curriculum that people are introduced to these topics and get comfortable expressing themselves and that other people get comfortable debating and discussing rather Mm -hmm. than denying and cancelling and that we learn to interact and that people that also get comfortable changing their minds on things, that they're able to say, you know what, I was wrong. I never looked at it that way. 
that's wonderful. Exactly. Because that's such a breakthrough when that happens. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We have a lot of work to do in that area. We sure do. And I think just finally, just to say, I think that on that values piece, there there is an organisation that I'm involved in called Lift Ireland. I don't know if you've come across it, Paul. No, but um, Lift stands for Leading Ireland's Future Together. And it's a non-profit organisation, but it aims to lift the leadership of Ireland. And it's not just focused on leaders, politicians and media and, and all of that. It's actually the whole concept is if you have one person in your life who listens to you, then you're a leader. If you can influence just one other person and that and Lift Ireland is based on a set of 10 leadership values, listening, respect, competence, empathy. And it's it aims to educate and have people reflect on those values and how they live those values every day in their daily lives. And that Lift Ireland is being introduced into secondary schools across Ireland at the moment. And I think there's huge power in some of that that can get teenagers to think about values and think about how and some of the reading material in it is quite challenging. But it's the, but the theme about respect and how can you find respect for somebody that you completely disagree with and the world is very polarized now you only need to think of kind of trump america no, everything that's going on there school shootings and all of that we can say that's completely wrong but how do you actually respect somebody that might have different views to you and i think there's a lot in that there and especially for young minds to to really to think about that and reflect on it it's a really powerful program lift ireland everybody should check it out I'm going to look into that, Kira. That sounds really interesting. I think it. I think it would even be nice to be able to weave that some way to the podcast That's that it. we can discuss those headings, seeing that they're not just for. In fact, they're not just for younger people. They're for us, for everybody, to be able to say how do we? Because what's the worst thing that would happen when you listen to something else? You might just learn something. Exactly. It's yeah, yeah. I'm conscious of time, Kira. I have two very quick questions for you before I let you go. If your house were burning down, your two boys are safe, your phone, of course, is safe with all your contacts and your computer, would you time to run back in and grab one thing? What would it be? It's probably what everybody says, I guess. The photo albums. There's nothing really material, I think, that I would... Yeah, some of those old photos would be lost for, uh, because we don't have yeah. digital versions yeah. of them. So that would probably be it. If my boys were out and I was out, nothing else matters, really. Now, Michael, the time to back them up here just to scan them in or something. Just a little gentle reminder that. If fair, fair nudge. God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm fortunate in our house. My son is big into family history and stuff. So he scans in everything and he's got all. It's, it's amazing. Final question. When your time on this planet is done and there's a book written about your life, what would you like the title of it to be? I'm going to reflect on something that my brother called me at the very beginning of starting wedding dates. He, we wrote each other's bios for the website. My brother was my first employee and he called me a fearless leader. And I think that's probably a nice title for a book. And it didn't come from yeah. didn't come from me, but I do see myself as a leader both in business but also outside of my business, with my family, with my friends, as a mother. And I do go into things with a fearless, positive attitude. So I think that's apt. Yeah. Kira, 
You're a fascinating person. I found you by complete random and I'm delighted I did. It was absolute joy to talk to you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me, Paul. It was a pleasure.